0: Hey, this is Gary Parrish again from cbssports.com. Again, it's Thursday, December 11th, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, which recently launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. If you want to try it, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off. That's Squarespace, start here go anywhere. My guest today is Jeff Eisenberg. Jeff, of course, writes about college basketball for Yahoo Sports, one of the more uh, talented and thoughtful guys who does it. And there are a whole bunch of things I want to talk to him about here. Uh, But Jeff, if you you don't mind, I want to start with what was probably the biggest midweek matchup we had in college basketball, Kansas at Georgetown. Jayhawks won 75-70. But um, as you pointed out in your nightly report card, it's how they did it that was kind of encouraging. Brandon Green made shots. Uh, specifically five three-pointers. Frank Mason continued to look uh, like a capable, if not really good, point guard. And then Kelly Oubre played a season-high 16 minutes. He wasn't great, but he had moments, and he played 16 minutes, which is way better than he had been doing. So you add it all up, and Kansas now has um, a six-game winning streak since losing by 32 to Kentucky last month. And and in that winning streak, there's wins against, I guess, Michigan State, Florida, and now Georgetown. Assess the Jayhawks for me. Have, Have they done enough to eliminate whatever concerns might have existed, you know, immediately after that 32 point loss to Kentucky.
1: Yeah. I know you guys have, uh, have talked about it on the podcast a lot, but I, I think Kansas is a work in progress at this point in the season as are uh, you know, probably most teams not named, uh, Duke and Kentucky, right. but, but I, I think that they're, they're coming along pretty nicely. And, uh, you know, seeing Brandon Green come off the bench for uh, for five threes in a game where they needed him to hit those, since Georgetown was zoning so much to uh, to protect Josh Smith, I thought that was big. Um, you know, any semblance of progress from uh, Kelly Oubre at this point has to be uh, encouraging, yeah. and I, I thought last night was uh, the best game I'd seen from him anyway. Uh, and then probably, I mean, the biggest concern for me coming into the season about Kansas was the point guard situation, and. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that all of my concerns are alleviated, but I, I certainly think Frank Mason has uh, done a nice job kind of uh, tightening his grip on that position and uh, solidifying that position for Kansas. And so, you know, if if he can hold down that point guard position and if uh, Green can provide them that shooter off the bench that uh, they lost when uh, Connor Frankkamp tra- transferred, Uh, And if the freshmen continue to come along, I mean, I I would think at some point this season they're going to be getting consistent production out of Kelly Oubre, even if that takes well into Big 12 play. So I, I guess my take on Kansas is that... Um, You know, I I think they're probably, I don't know, a top 15 team today, uh, and I think they still have that potential to, uh, you know, improve over the course of the season and uh, get to the point where they're uh, right back into the Final Four contender that we thought they would be going into the year. You mentioned
0: uh, that last night Kelly Oubre looked as good as you've seen him this year, and he he looked as good as I've seen him this year. I've actually seen Kansas, I think in person, four times maybe, uh, Champions Classic and then three times down in Orlando. And he looked lost on the court. It wasn't even like he was, like, struggling to adapt. Like, he just looked lost. Like, he didn't belong on the court. And immediately, because, like, I don't have eyes that other people don't have, um, you know, everybody think you know was like, God, he doesn't look comfortable out there. He doesn't look good enough. And immediately, I some of the feedback I heard was, well, here's another example of a of re- uh, recruiting analyst, you know, 247 Sports and Scout.com and Rivals.com and whoever o- overrating a kid. And... I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't happen sometimes. Certainly it does. It happens at all levels of everything. But um I remember talking to NBA scouts and like you know front office executives down in Orlando and what I found interesting is what is they were all just as baffled by this as anybody else. It wasn't like they were going yeah he was always overrated. They were like, no, we saw him at USA with USA basketball. We've seen him enough to know he's really good like he's he's this isn't like one of those things where he was overrated. This is one of those things where for whatever reason it, it's not working. and so um they were shocked that he was such a um I'm playing such a minimal role uh, with Kansas and still, 16 minutes for a guy who's projected to be in some places a top five pick isn't great, but to your point. Um, it's way better than it was just you know a couple of weeks ago. Meantime, Nebraska—they um, only lost once at home all last season, and that's through the Big Ten schedule as well. Last night, uh, they lost at home for the second time in three days. This time to Incarnate Word, a San Antonio-based Southland school that's in its second season of Division One basketball. Consequently, Nebraska, which was a, a preseason top twenty-five team, is now five and three with losses to Rhode Island, Creighton, and Incarnate Word. What in the world is going on with Tim Miles' team?
1: Yeah, I I think that that's a pretty alarming loss. I mean, uh, losing at Rhode Island, you can kind of chalk it up to bad scheduling a little bit. Uh, uh, You know, the Creighton game, it's a rivalry game. I know this isn't a a great Creighton team, and they're rebuilding a little bit from last year. But they'd still beaten Oklahoma. They, you know, they have their moments. So even though that came at home, I, I guess you can kind of look past that one it's a little harder to look past a loss to incarnate word right. um, you know and i i mean i think the biggest issue for for nebraska right now is that nobody besides uh teron petway and siobhan shields is doing much of anything offensively uh you know they brought in ty webster from new zealand a couple of years ago he was supposed to be uh you know kind of their their point guard for uh, for the next three four years and uh, he's fallen out of the starting lineup he has a uh uh, negative assist to turnover ratio he's not shooting well walter pitchford is uh shooting below 30% from the season uh they're not hitting threes consistently they don't really have a uh a traditional low post scorer so pretty much their entire offense is uh, uh shields and petway either uh shooting or uh, or forcing shots from the perimeter and uh you know, even against Incarnate Word, that that's not enough, and uh, it's going to show up even more so in uh, uh, in Big Ten play if uh, if they don't get things figured out. So, you know, they have Cincinnati coming up uh, this week, and that's not exactly a, a defense you want to see when you're struggling huh. offensively. Uh, so, I, I guess I'm I'm concerned about Nebraska, and I, I thought that they were going to take a step forward after making the NCAA tournament last season for the first time in a long time, and. Uh, at this point, I'm uh, I'm reconsidering that.
0: Yeah, because like even last year, they weren't good. Op- they weren't like they weren't good offensively, but they did no. they, they did just enough to get by. And now they're yep. even worse than that. And I, I think listen, I'm I, you know I had Nebraska preseason top twenty five. I had them um, uh, pick second to you know in the Big Ten behind only Wisconsin. And while recognizing you know you could take. Right after Wisconsin and mixed those teams up in any order in the preseason and it would have been reasonable. Michigan State, Michigan, um, even Iowa, Nebraska, like whatever. They all seemed on paper to be about the same caliber of team. But like this is one of those things where um, you look at it on November 11th, it looks one way to you. Or at least you can convince yourself of something. You look back at it December 11th knowing what we know and you go, okay, what was Nebraska really last year? Like, they were a poor offensive team that just won a bunch of games at home and still just barely snuck in the NCAA tournament. I think from that you assume, okay, most of the important pieces are back. They'll be better. But sometimes they just, you maybe some of the bounces that went your way one year don't go your way the next. And that's the difference between, you know, on December 11th being a one-loss team and a three-loss team. And then um, maybe, you're, maybe you're just not you know, you're just basically the same caliber of team last this year as you were last year, but you get a few unlucky bounces, and that's the difference between making and missing an NCAA tournament. So it's going to be interesting to see if Tim can can get that together. Because I'm I'm like you, I could I could discount. Hey, you know what? You shouldn't lose at Rhode Island or to Rhode Island, but at least you schedule the game. You went out there, big deal for them, whatever. Rivalry game against Creighton, whatever. But like this one is one where you really. You've got to start to have some some big concerns. Uh, you live on the West Coast for people who don't know. And so I want to get your thoughts on uh, some of the West Coast teams. There are four schools out your way that are top 25 at Ken Palm right now. Arizona, Gonzaga, Utah, and San Diego State. We know Arizona and Gonzaga are going to be in the NCAA tournament. That goes without saying. Utah, San Diego State, they safe picks right now? You believe in
1: both those schools? I believe in in Utah a little bit more at the moment, which is which is interesting because uh, I I was there in person when San Diego State beat them. Um, but I I think that uh, that Utah has showed a lot in the uh, in the last couple weeks. Uh, I wrote pretty extensively about uh, Jakob Pertl, uh, their uh, freshman center right. who's uh, getting a fair amount of interest uh, from from NBA folks right now. It's considered a, a potential first round pick. Whether that's uh, this year, or next year, down the road, and I, I think he's done a lot to really, uh, you know, solidify Utah as my choice as the uh, the second best team uh, in the Pac-12 besides uh, Arizona. And you saw it a little bit last night there, without Jordan Loverich, who's uh, an All Conference player, uh, you know, one of the better scorers in the uh, in the Pac-12, and yet they go to BYU and uh, they survive a terrible shooting night. They didn't shoot well from the perimeter. They didn't shoot well from the free throw line they were facing uh you know a, a sold out crowd and one of the better offensive teams on the west coast and they win anyway and and the reason for that is that uh they're really consistent defensively. Delon Wright had uh one of his best games of the season last night and then they have just enough role players around Wright, Pirtle, and uh uh Loveridge when he comes back that uh, it, it's the deepest team that Larry's had and um, you know, to come from where they came from when he took over, they had six wins in Larry's first season there. They were playing schools like Evergreen State on their <laughs> schedule just just to find a win. I mean, they they were losing to everyone, uh, and you know, to come from that and here they are. Last year they had sort of a modest breakthrough season. Uh, didn't didn't make the NCAA tournament because they they didn't schedule well enough, but. You know, this year's team to me looks like a clear NCAA tournament team, probably a, a consistent top 20 team most of the season. And uh, certainly my choice is the uh, the second best team in the Pac-12. Um, to get to San Diego State really quick, I, I still believe in the Aztecs. I think they they are as good defensively as uh, anyone not named Kentucky in the, uh, uh, in the country. Um, my concern still, as it was before the season, is still offensively for them. And, you know, Xavier Thames may not have gotten a ton of publicity outside of the West coast last year, but I'm not sure that any one player was more valuable to his team than Thames was. Uh, and it was from a leadership standpoint. It was from a scoring standpoint, but more than anything, it was when they had 12 seconds on the shot clock uh, and they were in a half court offense, the only play they ran was a high ball screen for Xavier Thames. They basically gave him the ball 80% of the time, 90% of the time in those situations and said, create. And I think that that uh, is part of the reason why they're struggling so much offensively this year. When I, when I talk to Steve Fisher, he says that he thinks that this will be a better offensive team than last year. And I, I understand why he says it. It's because they have more scoring options, more ways to score than they did last year. However, there's not a go-to threat and they don't have an offensive identity yet and then they're really missing, uh, actually, a Kiel Quinn, uh, sure. who was probably their uh, their best shooter uh, for the first uh, three, four weeks of the season before getting hurt. So the combination of that has really uh, taken away from their offense and has, uh, you know, left them as a team that's uh, going to keep other teams in the game with their offense and is going to keep themselves in the game with their defense. And I think that'll lead to some good wins this season. But I also think it'll lead to a couple of. Uh, Uh, you know, head-scratching losses, like they almost suffered at home against Long Beach State last night.
0: Right, I mean, they just can't score it, like, you know, they're going to be great enough defensively to to hang around with basically anybody, but there's going to be nights where they just cannot put the ball in the basket, and when they can't, that becomes a struggle against anybody. Back to Utah for just a second, Um, it's just nice for the Pac-12 to have another, like, prominent program, and that's not one, like, you know, when Washington State pops up and is good randomly, or Arizona State pops up and is good randomly. I mean, this is a program, this Utah program with with real tradition and real history. I, I think it's easy to forget sometimes because they've been uh, so off the radar recently. But like, you know, NCAA tournament, 93, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2002, 3, 4, 5, um, you know, they, they've they been to Sweet 16s in 96, 7, 8, 2005, went to the Final Four in 98, um, played for the National Championship in 98. So this is a program that's always had that kind of potential, or at least it, it was that kind of program under Rick Majerus. But um, that the idea that Larry's now got it back to a respectable point, and not only a respectable point, like a, you know, it's a legitimate top 25 team is a, a really nice deal. UCLA plays... Um, Kentucky, not this weekend, but the next weekend, it's December twentieth, going to be CBS Sports Classic in Chicago. The Bruins are eight and two, but you know there aren't really any good wins on the resume. What kind of team does Steve Alford have this season?
1: <laughs> I, I think he has a really good starting lineup, and not much beyond those top six guys. Um, I, I can't remember a, 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 a power conference team, especially one with as uh, as much tradition as UCLA. That has as little depth as uh, as this UCLA team uh, has. Um, they have only three scholarship guards. Uh, you know, they essentially have three big men who they play, and then they uh, have uh, um, a couple of younger players who just aren't really ready uh, for uh, for big games. And so, I, I think that's a huge concern over the. Uh, over the course of the season. I mean, you know, it's a concern. They got into foul trouble last night and didn't really have a lot of options against UC Riverside, which is fairly alarming. Uh, you know, and then if you have an injury in the backcourt, I, I just don't know how they survive that in the long term. But the the good news for UCLA is that that starting lineup is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevon Looney has been fantastic, one of the, uh, the better freshmen in the country. He's uh, averaging close to a double-double or might even be a double-double at this point. Um, I, I think uh, Norman Powell has uh, really made strides this season. He's kind of uh, emerged from the shadow of the uh, Shabazz Muhammads and uh, uh, some of the other uh, great wings that UCLA has had there and has kind of been the, uh, the guy to carry the Bruins this year. Um, I, I think that uh, it's a concern to me that, uh, that Bryce Alford is the, uh, the only real point guard uh, on the roster. I, I like Bryce Alford. He's better than I expected him to be uh you know he can look really good against teams who don't have uh, great athleticism but when he faces the uh, Arizonas or the Washingtons or uh, you know you saw it a little bit in the uh, the Bahamas he's just overmatched uh, athletically and they have to hide him defensively and he's not as effective uh, on offense either and they don't really have another option i guess you could try Isaac Hamilton for a few minutes at a time uh you know, uh, trying to uh, set up the offense and create for other people, but that's not really his DNA. As uh, all the Hamiltons have been, he's, <laughs> he's very much a score first guy. Sure. Um, so, you know, bottom line with UCLA, I, I think that that though that their starting lineup is good enough that they'll probably beat some teams that uh, the folks might not expect them to beat. But I think over the course of the season, the attrition and, uh, you know, the injuries that are likely to come, I think it's really going to put a, a ceiling on what UCLA can accomplish. I see them as an NCAA tournament team. You know, I could even see them finishing, uh, I don't know, third in the Pac-12 if, uh, if they're able to stay healthy. But I just don't think that this is a great UCLA team. And I think this is sort of a transition year for, uh, uh, for Steve until they can, uh, can get a little bit more depth uh, in next year. Cross town
0: from UCLA is obviously USC. Where are we in the Andy Enfield era at USC? Last season was terrible, eleven and twenty-one. I think was the record. Six and three this season, but you know, no good wins, and a loss to Portland State. Um, where are we with Andy Infield at USC?
1: Well, I, I think the only reason why this team is at least more watchable than last year's team is at least this year's team has some young players that they're going to build around. Right. Uh, Jordan McLaughlin, their, uh, their freshman point guard, is a, a, a guy that they uh, beat UCLA and a number of other schools for in a recruiting battle, and uh, he's kind of, you know, one of the pieces that's part of the future of, of USC, and they're just handing him the ball and saying, uh, you know, good, good luck, and uh, throwing him out there and letting him learn on the fly, and... Uh, uh, early in the season, he had uh, you know a lot of turnovers as you as you'd expect for a freshman point guard in that situation. he's started to play a little bit better lately. That's one of the reasons they had a uh, you know at least halfway decent win over uh, over New Mexico uh, on the road recently. Actually, pretty good win considering it was on the road for uh, uh, you know even if this isn't a vintage uh, New Mexico team, but. He's coming along a little bit. Caden Reinhardt, the uh, the UNLV transfer, is uh, you know another piece for them for, for the future. And uh, the bottom line is they're not going to be a a team that's going to contend in the Pac-12 this year. They're not going to finish in the upper half of that conference. But if they're able to make a little bit of progress on the court, get a few wins here and there, and most importantly, get those young players some experience. I, I still think there's hope for uh, for what Andy's trying to do there. I, I, I just think that people have to be patient and people have to understand that he was left with almost nothing when Kevin O'Neill left. And uh, this is going to be a, a three and four year re- rebuild, not a, a one to two year one.
0: Remember, today's I Own College Basketball podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is now Redesign with Squarespace 7 interface including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates and cover pages. And Squarespace has an amazing support team. Works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Everything starts at just $8 a month. and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website. So your content is going to look great on every device every single time. So to start a free trial with no credit card required uh and get to building your website today. Just go to squarespace.com. And again, make sure to use the offer code fun to get 10% off and to show your support for the I on College Basketball podcast at Squarespace, start here, uh go anywhere. Let's get to some news and notes presented by Squarespace. Let's start with Georgetown. Last night wore the I can't breathe t-shirts in warm-ups. Um the first college team to do it, we've seen Derrick Rose, we've seen LeBron and some of the Brooklyn Nets, we saw the Lakers the night prior, and then Georgetown um, last night, um, you know, basically the whole team, if not the entire team. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think other college teams are going to follow suit, or is this, this um, I don't want to say this issue, because this issue is not going away, but will these sorts of public statements from basketball players start to dwindle in, in uh, coming days?
1: I suspect it, it dwindles eventually. It wouldn't surprise me to see a a few more uh, you know college teams fall suit in the uh, the coming days. I, I, I guess I I like the fact that uh, that athletes are speaking out on a social issue that's important to them. I, right. I hope it's just not uh, you know guys seeing Kobe and LeBron doing doing it and uh, you know and just following suit. I hope it's something that's important to them and that that's why the Georgetown players did it. Um, I, You know, regardless of how you feel on that particular subject, I guess I just like uh, the college athletes rec- recognize their, uh, you know, role models is too strong, but people who uh, at least have a voice and a platform. And uh, I, I like that Georgetown was uh, was willing to use it last night.
0: Yeah, no, and I'm I'm with you completely. Now I I do think it's um it's probably a little bit of they saw the Le- I don't think Georgetown would do this if Kobe, Derek, and LeBron hadn't done it first. Yeah, you know, like um I I think so, Like with like you know you you watch uh, Allen Iverson wear a shooting sleeve, and next thing you know, college kids are wearing <laughs> shooting sleeves. You watch, you know, Chandler Parsons or whomever throw on like. Uh, you know, tights under his shorts, and then the college kids have tights under their shorts. And so, like, there's definitely a little bit of a copycat thing going on. But but still, um, I don't know. My position on these types of things has always been, in general, I don't care why you start to care about something as long as you start to care about something, right? And so maybe if they were led to this cause, to the extent that it's a cause— strictly by hey LeBron did something that's kind of cool we'll just do what LeBron did um if it gets them to open their eyes to take a real look and to feel passionately about something like if they come in the side door so to speak um at least they're in the house now and so I'm uh, I'm with you I, I I I like the idea of seeing um college kids um particularly ones with with voices that can make a statement um uh, on some level, whatever level they can make a statement, um, actually, you know, stand up and 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 try to do it, almost regardless of what the cause. I, I you know, I, because I host a radio show, this this has been a topic of conversation, you know, the past few days. And you know, every once in a while, you'll run into somebody who, you know, will just want to try to play devil's advocate for, you know, the sake of playing devil's advocate. And they're like, well, what if somebody came out and wore a shirt that said blah blah blah? Somebody come out and like, listen, there's a line between. Um, you know, having your voice heard and, like, just being stupid or reckless or hateful or whatever. So, like, just, you know, throwing anything you want on a t-shirt to try to make a point, yes, there's there's some idiotic things you could do, but this one um, seems, not seems to, it's an obviously undeniable um, important issue uh, for our entire country, but certainly for the African-American community, and it's something that they feel... Uh, I don't want to speak in broad terms, but seemingly the overwhelming majority um, feel strongly about. And so I thought it was a really cool thing to, um, you know, I was on Twitter last night. As soon as I got off the radio, among the first things I see is Georgetown players are wearing these shirts. I thought it was a a neat deal. Uh, Meantime, Mark Emmert gave an interview. He's the president of the NCAA, and he said that he has no problem, in theory, with the idea of, College play, basketball players leaving college, turning pro, playing in the D-League, and then returning to college to play again at the Division I level. Does that make any sense to you?
1: It, it makes no
0: sense. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I thought, too. So,
1: <laughs> so, so that that <laughs> I, I was literally searching to see if there was something that I was missing. <laughs> right. I saw it. Because I get the idea of... Uh, you know having a uh, an undrafted player return to college i think that makes a ton of sense i wish they would consider that more or having a player who goes in the second round doesn't get a guaranteed contract having him return to college i can understand that i think that makes sense especially with this uh, ridiculous accelerated uh, timetable for uh, for players to uh, to declare for the draft but Having D League players come come back to college <laughs> that makes zero sense to me. Those guys are gone. They're they're playing professionally already. Most of them probably don't even have a ton of interest in returning to college. <laughs> right. I, I just think there are so many issues with the draft process, and for that to be the one that uh, that Emmert is open to, I, I don't get it.
0: I'm with you. Like I read it and I was like, okay, what am I getting What am I missing here? Like I, you know, like I maybe I misunderstood, and so then I did some more reading and like, listen, I am fundamentally for student athletes' rights. I think the whole system should be blown up and we should start over because the system we have right now is ridiculous. Um, But like, you know, if you're a professional, you're a professional. Like if you go play, you know, the 30 games for the Iowa energy, you you don't need to be able to go back to (laughs) Michigan State. You know, so like, I I don't know. It's just such a... A bizarre thing for the president of the NCAA to throw out there as it's something that's been bouncing around his head because it just, um, again, it doesn't make any sense on, on any level. Um, early this morning, uh, Bryce DeJean Jones, the uh, Iowa State guard who's off to a terrific start, we named him the uh, player of the Week at CBSsports.com this past week because he was just awesome in wins over Arkansas and UMKC. Uh, not only in averaging, I think, twenty-four and a half points, but like he shot a ridiculous percentage from the field. He was the latest, um, and this is sort of what I wrote earlier in the week: um, transfer project uh, for Fred Hoiberg that seemingly was was going really well. Um, You know, Royce White was a mess once upon a time and is uh, apparently a a mess now. And I don't say that to be um, derogatory in any way. Like, I recognize he deals with mental illness, but in terms of being a a professional basketball player, it hasn't gone well. And before he got to Iowa State, it didn't go well. But while he was at Iowa State, Fred figured out a way to make it work. Um, Last year, there was DeAndre Kane, who was you know, basically removed from school at Marshall, enrolled at Iowa State, and was awesome. And so Bryce DeJohn Jones um was on that path. It it appeared. And then this morning, um, arrested at his apartment, uh, basically loud noise, been warned several times. Cops finally show up, smell marijuana, you know, charge him with what amounts to possession of marijuana and some sort of noise violation and whatever. It's like three AM. Now, in fairness, um what college kid wasn't in a, an apartment once upon a time where there was weed and loud music, right? Um, but, but but beyond that, um, it is like he's got a mugshot now, and that's never good. And Iowa State plays Iowa tomorrow night, and though there is no word at this moment about whether he'll be available, my guess would be he wouldn't, and so this is not ideal. Um, is this a case of just, hey, college kids will be college kids, or is it where Fred's um, willingness to gamble on known problematic student athletes guys who have I don't want to say are criminals but have been issues at other programs for either on the court or off the court is this just one where hey you know you you're not going to hit a thousand you know eventually you're going to strike out and strike out is is way too harsh eventually you're going to it's going to bite you on some level and and maybe this is an example of that what do you make of all this story
1: I, I think it's more the latter, but yeah. I think you you touched on uh, something that I completely agree with a, a second ago, and that was the idea that it just felt like that Fred kind of had the golden touch with the with transfers and that no matter who he brought in, uh, that it was going to be a seamless transition. I mean, like you said, DeAndre came, you know, was a guy who there were probably programs out there who weren't going to touch, uh, you know, a couple of the transfers that they took from Michigan State. Um, you know, same, same kind of thing issues in their previous program. Other schools might not have touched him, uh, Royce white, same thing. And yet all those guys did great at Iowa state and were, uh, you know, as far as we know, anyway, model citizens there and, uh, you know, great success stories. And so I think if another program had taken Bryce DeJean Jones, I, I, I might've questioned it just because of the reputation that he had built at, uh, at USC and especially at UNLV. I mean, there were issues, uh, all last season uh you know with him at UNLV um obviously not from a criminal standpoint but just from from a standpoint of uh, getting along with his teammates and uh you know uh his his shot selection and uh, any number of things on the floor um but when he went to Iowa State you, you just looked at their track record and and you're you're kind of like well okay I mean it's worked <laughs> before why want to work again and uh uh you know it, it seemed like for the first uh, few weeks of the season things were going great obviously like you said he had the uh, the two huge games against uh, Arkansas and Missouri Kansas City uh and then for this to come on the eve of the uh, the Iowa game it's sort of a uh, an eye opener and a uh, um you know real blow to the uh, the cyclones and i i'm with you i mean what college student hasn't uh, you know been in a loud party with uh, with weed there but at the same time it's sort of like the indiana stuff that sure. we discussed uh, a few weeks ago If you're a high-profile student athlete, you know you have to hold yourself to a slightly higher level of conduct than the rest of the student body because you know what happens if something like this, uh, uh, you know, comes up in the middle of the season. And so, you know, he's a senior, uh, you know, he's had uh, issues at other programs before, Um, you know, he he probably – Uh, Came to Iowa State knowing the situation, and so I I, I guess I have a hard time feeling sorry for Bryce DeJean Jones here in this situation. All he had to do was kind of keep it together for uh, for one year, and uh, you know this isn't the biggest deal in the world. I'm guessing anyway. Uh, You know we don't know yet for sure, but I I, I doubt that this leads to his dismissal or anything. But. I, I, I certainly think it jeopardizes his availability in a big game against Iowa tomorrow night, and uh, I, I think that's a disservice to the program.
0: Sure, yeah, and I, I'm with you on this. Like, I, on one hand, I, you know, like I, I can look at it and go, okay, college kids sitting around smoking, listening to music. Like, you know, we, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, most of us have probably been in that scene. Um, the on the other hand, you know so like if it were my cousin i'd like you know i my my 19 year old cousin or 22 year old cousin i'd be like yo man like what are you doing but whatever like i i get it um but like when you're a division 1 student athlete and a high profile guy you 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 have to hold yourself to another standard because this is what i always um to, you know whenever i end up talking to speaking to teams or anything like that and in these t- sorts of conversations uh you know uh develop my my message is always like just recognize like you know i have a a son who's 11 and one day he'll be 19 and if he gets arrested it probably won't be on the local news you know if he gets arrested it probably won't be in the newspaper um but if you get arrested it is not only on the local news and in the newspaper you know somebody like me has to write about it it will be on the ticker on cbs sports network and espn news and so just you know be careful you know because it um What you do matters more than what most people your age do. And um, if nothing else, Bryce Deshaun Jones, for whatever reason, seemingly uh, forgot that early this morning. And um, now I imagine there's a pot price to pay. At the very least, it's going to be uh, incredibly negative attention put on his program, which is bad. It brings his coach into question who took a chance on him, which is bad. But in a more tangible way... Um, probably not going to be available for what is a massive in-state rivalry game against uh, Iowa on tomorrow night. We'll see. Okay, well, um, I've kept Jeff Eisenberg here long enough, kept you guys here long enough, so uh, let's get out of here. But not before, uh, I just thank everybody for listening. You really kind of do that. The feedback you guys provide on Twitter and other places is is um, really really uh, appreciated. So thank you for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Over on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. So make sure to do that. It's free and free is good. And remember, uh you can follow Jeff Eisenberg on Twitter. That's at Jeff Eisenberg. At Jeff Eisenberg. Have an awesome weekend everybody. I'll talk to you again early next week. Uh till then, um, take care.